You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support the network at sunriserobot.net slash support. You're listening to Bits and Pieces, episode 3, where we talk about music from the perspective as musicians and producers and listeners, of course, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan. And I'm Mike Edwards. And today we're going to talk about music quality, so not in composition, but um, I guess rather compression and sample and bit rates and all this technical stuff, and how important all of these really are for, for the listening experience as a whole. Um, and why these people trying to hawk super high sample rates on you are wrong. <laughs> Um, but first, a little bit of follow-up. Um, so last time we talked about video game soundtracks, and um, I guess the complaint was kind of that um, they weren't that memorable anymore, and this whole discussion. So uh, if you haven't listened to that, check that out. Um, so we had the hypothesis that in now with the advent of um, okay now they are ubiquitous by now but with the advent of cutscenes and voice acting in video games and especially RPGs that uh, soundtrack kind of had to go back into the background a little bit more whereas uh, in, in earlier years they could occupy the whole uh, sound spectrum one could say and. I said that I would test this out by listening back or just watching a playthrough of Final Fantasy X. And I did that. I found a nice video marathon uh, of of the whole game. So somebody played the whole game and just uh, cut together all the uh, cut scenes and some important fights and dialogues in between. So it's the shortest version you can watch to get all of the important information. And I got about three hours into it and... We had the, I guess our hypothesis was kind of true because uh, what I found was that during dialogues and cutscenes, music actually went back into the background, but one by uh, just going down in volume, of course, and also the composition was always a bit more sparse and just generally less instruments playing at the same time. And but there were also a lot of cutscenes where there was really no music at all, just some wind blowing or birds in the background, or sometimes complete silence. Um, something I had yesterday with Final Fantasy VIII, where I actually um, started uh, falling asleep while uh, they were talking, and there was no sound at all, nothing in the dark room, and I just <laughs> fell asleep. And two <laughs> two hours later, I woke up with the keyboard in my hand. Oh, yeah, there was this dialogue. But, uh, so in Final Fantasy X, it, it actually was the way that we, I guess, remembered it or thought about how you could, uh, solve this problem. So, um, I guess next up would be me listening back to Final Fantasy XII just to, uh, give it another chance. Yeah. <laughs> there is one theme from Final Fantasy X that's always stuck with me, and that's the, the B-Sade theme. The, it's just, it's super repetitive and redundant, but it's just, I, I remember, uh, Back when Final Fantasy X was actually a new thing, uh, my brother recorded about maybe 20 or 30 minutes of the loop of that song onto a mini disc. Because many, mini discs were trying to happen at one point in time. And so I used to listen to that to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I guess next time we're going to talk about just a little bit of follow up for, uh, the Final Fantasy XII soundtrack and to redeem it a bit, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm not going <laughs> to like it still. Maybe I'm going to like it less than back in the day. So, um, 
But now to our, uh, I guess to our next topic, unless you have a bit of follow up or something. Uh, no, I think I'm there. good. All, all good on follow up. So let's get to it. So, uh, Matt, you had shared with me this article from, uh, ziff.org. It's, a uh, all about why 24-bit 192 kilohertz music downloads don't make any sense. And I was astonished at the thoroughness of this article because it is, you know, it's not just like a little like, you know, five or six paragraph verge article where it says like a few provocative things and then leaves it to a war in the comments. It's, it's like a full on, here's every angle of this you know, debate people have about sound quality and here's why those people are wrong. And, um, it seems really well backed up and researched and sound. Yeah. Um, and I, I think even better, uh, what came out of this is the, the video, um, more, more or less about the same article where he actually proves all the things he's talking about with, uh, analog gear and digital software and mixes those in between to show you that <clears throat> really there is no difference once you, flip this switch or turn down this bad bit rate or something so it's really even if you so if you don't want to read the article you can definitely watch the video and still get all of the information with a little bit of uh i guess practical proof in between so i had always i mean as just as a, a hobbyist audio person who's who doesn't have a lot of formal training or, or scientific background in audio and more of a dabbler um you kind of pick up these like little bits of like common wisdom and some of them proved to be true and some of them proved to be false. But like as a general theme, I always heard like your production sound should be a higher quality, higher fidelity than your eventual uh, export. And that's only sort of true. Um, and this article gets into the nitty gritties because I used to try to record at 2496 and this article has me questioning that, like, do I even need to do that? And I think the answer is no. And it turns out that the truth is a little more nuanced than that. It's not, not false. It's just too general, too generic, too general to say you produce at a higher fidelity than you export. Um, 24 bit does have some benefits over 16 bit, but the sample rate is where people go crazy and don't need to. Yeah, I mean, there, there are use cases for that and we're going to get into this, but generally, as you said, I, I once thought about it. I, I was about to go to the uh, 881 just for the multiple of two and, <laughs> uh, the multiple of uh, 44 one. But, um, I don't, I don't want to throw too much, too many numbers around here today, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we can go into these aspects first. So, okay, we've got bit rate and sample rate. Um, which one are we going to hit first? I guess the, uh, which one is easy to explain? <laughs> well, I like to think if you think of a, a waveform or just like, you know, like a sine wave or a cosine, just, you know, even if you're not big into math and you're listening to this, just like the wave, just a up and down uh, signal. Um, I like to think of bit rate as how ac So it's always so hard to explain. You need a picture, <laughs> which this is an audio podcast. So maybe we'll put a picture in the show notes. But um, I learned like in math, so... Analog, you could imagine, is like a perfect, like the wave is perfectly curved up and down, um, exactly. And when you work in digital audio, it's always trying to approximate that. And, you know, our approximations are very good, but they're not perfect. So instead of like an exact perfect curving wave, you have a ton of lines. So it's like when the when the wave is really tall, you have a tall line. When it's like close to the, the center, it's a short line. And so the... 
the bit rate is how accurate is an individual line? How close is it to the perfect analog? And the, the sample rate is how many lines are there per second? Yeah. And so I, I know it's, it's hard to like talk about something you should see. But so definitely check out the show notes this time. <laughs> yeah, but that's the quickest way I can explain it. Is bit rate is each single sample, how accurate is it? And then the sample rate is how many samples are there per second? And so in this debate, um, which is pretty settled in my mind from this article, um, accuracy of individual lines sort of matters in production, can be a benefit, but having a billion more lines per second doesn't necessarily help you. Not worth it. Not worth it in most cases. So, um, the, uh, the, the, uh, sample rate. Okay. I, I always try not to mix these two up. So, um, so, okay. So the sample rate, having more lines in effect, what, what, what that does is, um, so we as humans have a, a hearing range of from, from the frequencies from about 20 Hertz to 20,000 Hertz. That's what they always say. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it's easy, easy to remember those numbers. And in effect, with the, uh, there is something called the, uh, Nyquist theorem or the Nyquist frequency, uh, which basically says that if you are to sample something or record something digitally, and, uh, let's say we're going with 44,100 uh, kilohertz, which is, uh, the standard rate for the, uh, for CDs, mm-hmm. um, then in effect, what you're getting is, uh, half of that sample rate as, the upper frequency that can be reproduced. So in that case, it would be um, about 22.05. And now, if you remember that I said we our upper hearing range ends at about 20 kilohertz, that's, I guess, more than enough. But <laughs> yeah. then people go and say, no, we need more people with golden yeah. ears. So that's where this whole debate there's starts. This, there's these harm- harmonics, apparently, we have to yeah. worry about. This magical pixie dust at the top end. That yeah, that's not hearable, but supposed to have an effect. It's beyond our universe, but somehow interacts with it. Yeah. So <laughs> the the so what these people say um, is basically that these harmonies, these supersonic frequencies, basically would have a positive effect on when you're listening back to it. So one could say, okay, these frequencies actually occur in nature. We just are not able to hear them. So if I play my instruments and it's producing these frequencies, I want that to be reproduced in my recording. Okay, that's a fine argument. But um, the problem is what, uh, so this guy on Ziff find, found out or just presents in his argument is that not only do these not matter, no, they even have a, a um, they, they actually make the signal worse. So they have a... a um, a negative effect on the reproduction of the audio. So I'm um, I'm trying to, to simplify it as, as as good as possible without making any mistakes on the scientific part here. But uh, basically, what is happening with the these frequencies that you're not able to hear? So so in one case, most people don't even have the equipment to to even be able to play back these frequencies. So. Yeah. If if I would play uh, play a sound file on my regular stereo here at home, um, these frequencies, even if they are in the file, it's just no way possible for for my speakers to really play them back in the in in the sense that they would be in the at the frequency that they are supposed to be, I guess. So mm-hmm. it's not able to um, produce those. And on the other hand, even if you were able to do this, you would have to have special speakers for these. 
Um, and yeah, what these speakers are doing is they are emitting sound that you're not even going to be able to hear anyway. So it doesn't matter. Why, why, why even do it? <laughs> and another point on this is that he, he says that, uh, every speaker has some level of distortion that it, it contributes to the signal. And unfortunately at extreme low and extreme high frequencies, that's where more distortion gets introduced than at the, the human range, which is probably a fact of how speakers are designed to focus on reproducing our range well. Yeah. Or if um, you have multiple speakers, they all concentrate on a specific range of frequencies. So once you try yeah. to introduce some frequencies that it's not meant to play back, you're always going to get some level of distortion or just going to run into some kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of reasons. Now, of course, there are use cases, as I said. <clears throat> For example, if um, if I'm going to uh, record something and want to really do some extreme time stretching or pitch shifting or something, or just in general some some heavy effects or processing on the the audio signal, then it's always good to have more information. I mean, that's that's a given. It's just like if I'm trying to um, when I take a photo with a really good camera. Um, with like, I don't know, 20 or 30 megapixels. Of course, I'm not going to be able to view those on my monitor unless I'm going to zoom in real close or if I'm go even if I'm going to print them out. I'm just not going to use this high fidelity in the end product. But um, now going back to audio, while I'm, you're working with it, you want to have as much information as possible to work with to get, uh, as I said, pitch shifting and time stretching are some of these effects where you really want more information so it doesn't start gobbling up everything. I love the photo example because that's another example where higher megapixels can actually hurt your image quality, um, especially on these these mobile phones because the sensor size is not getting bigger, the, the thing that captures the light. And so by increasing megapixels, you get less light per pixel. So you actually get less quality on your picture for very little gain, if it, except for a spec sheet to mark it with. So um, there are reasons where you would lose a higher sample rate. But in fact, now this article was mainly about playback. So in a playback situation with... Uh, if you're going to, to spend some, trying to spend some money on a Pono and then you download flag files and play them back in the, yeah, so it's just that you're not going to get a lot out of it. That's, yeah, you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, no, you're gonna you know. tell yourself it sounds better because you spent a lot of money and you, you don't want to feel bad about your purchase, but it's gonna sound the same. If, unless you changed your headphones or your speakers or the actual music you're listening to was mastered differently, um, it's gonna sound the same. Um, so it, to, to break it down, if you, if you just want to know what should you do, um, if you're listening, you don't need more than 16 bit 44.1 K audio. You just don't. Um, there are problems with the way music is produced today, but the bit rate and sample rate are not part of the problem. Um, if you're recording, go ahead and bump up to 24 bit, but you don't necessarily need to worry about upping the sample rate. Yeah. Just uh, to go a little bit into this, the difference between 16 and 14 bit, uh, 24 bit, basically. So I produce my stuff in 24 bit also because first of all, I heard that I was supposed to do this. So now I'm doing it, but okay. It actually <laughs> has reasons. So, um, now with the, with the sample rate, um, 
you're getting more frequencies and with the uh, a bigger range of frequencies, let's say like this, and with the uh, higher sample rate, no bit rate. See, I'm, I'm mixing it up all the time. Um, bit rate is more accurate. Yeah, uh, in, in 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 when it comes to the volume, so you have a bigger vo- range of volume that you can reproduce mm-hmm. and record and and and. So the uh, the keyword here is signal to noise ratio. So of course, if I'm playing something back or recording something, I want to have a, a, a noise flow that is as low as possible. So um, having 24 bits available for that is always going to be better than 16 bit. And the only reason to actually really do it, uh, what I what I gathered from this article is that um, when I'm recording an instrument, um, yeah. You, mostly first goes into a preamp and then into a converter to go into the uh, computer or wherever you're recording. And you're always trying to get a signal as loud as possible without it, uh, the, the signal going into the, into the reds. So it's starting to clip and distort, which is a more serious problem in the digital realm because there the clipping is really it's immediately bad it's just bad no questions asked well in the analog realm they are going to say yeah but up to a certain point you can add some distortion but generally when you're recording and you're going through a preamp you want to have no distortion at all so with 24 bits in effect what you're getting then is when it goes into the computer you're getting a little bigger range so you don't have to record as hot and can avoid those overs while still yeah. retaining a very big signal to noise floor that's uh signal to noise ratio that's I, I don't have the number in front of me right now, but it's big enough. Let's say like Yeah, this. I like to think of it as you can be a lot lazier with twenty four bit. <clears throat> Make sure you're getting some signal, but you don't really have to focus a lot on getting it loud. It's like I'll oh, get it loud enough and then we're good. And sixteen bit you really have to dial it in because if you if you record too soft you're gonna get a lot of noise when you crank that signal up. Yeah. While again, in playback, it's a different thing. You'd only need those 16 because that's the only thing you're going to hear. So I guess it's, it's because produced audio or we already land in the right zone. So it won't matter. Again, this, uh, this use case of when you're working with the audio and when you're recording it and processing it, you want to have as much as information as possible. But as soon as we're going to the playback stage, the 44 one 16 bit is just enough because that's what our hearing is, uh, accustomed to. Uh, the other thing that I found fascinating in this article was um, some of the experimental biases of, of just humans trying to figure this out that come out. And one of the things is how it's it's been studied that louder things just sound better. And that's that's what contributes to a lot of problems in music production is... You, you, it's so hard to avoid this. And even when I'm mixing my own music, I'm always tempted to keep, you know, gradually cranking it louder and louder. And it makes me less critical and more just like, this sounds good. And, uh, it's, it's a experimenter's bias that comes into these little audio file tests too, because if you aren't careful about the way you do your double blind testing, you might just be testing if something's louder than the other thing. Cause you're just going to be like, Hey, that one's nice. <laughs> that one's higher quality and more fidelity and you're really, really it's just louder. That's that's also when, what they say when you're producing and recording uh, about when you're trying different things or different equalizer setting or something always to AB in in the same volume. So especially in mastering where uh at the second stage or sometimes at the first stage you're you're applying a compressor and then at the last stage you're applying a limiter which is getting everything way louder. 
uh, you always gotta compare those two signals. So the, the dry and the wet signal at the same volume. Otherwise you're not going to have a, a, a useful comparison. Yeah. I like this sentence. Stereo salesmen have known this trick for a long time. Yeah. This one Turn things trick. up. People will think it's, yeah, this one weird trick. Trick. Audiophiles hate him. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a sad, like, oh, I thought lossless audio would come and save our world and be perfect and, and make everything great. But, um, you know, this is a slightly separate discussion, but even a, a well encoded MP3, almost no one can honestly tell the difference between that and lossless audio. Yeah. I've noticed that, um, if, if I compress something as an MP3, I think the difference for me stops at about 162 or 64. I don't know which, which the number is there, but, uh, yeah, 128 and 192, there is a difference. You can really hear that. Yeah. One. I can definitely, yeah. That's where the break point is for me too. But yeah, after, yeah, about 160. Yes. Yeah, that's once where it, it gets stops beyond that. Some people will always talk that the symbols they can just tell in the high end, but yeah, um, I think yeah, I can tell that in 128 MP3s, but beyond that, I'm at a loss, and that's why I'm I'm fond of saying like I love music, but I'm not an audiophile. And I think it part of that's because some of the people in the audio maybe they're the loud minority, who knows? But um, there's some obnoxious obsession over all this stuff that I I don't think has much to do with good music. And it's mostly just gearheads obsessing and, and as much as I don't want to make someone feel bad for loving their little <laughs> corner of the world, um, it sort of gets into superstitious nonsense at some point. Yeah. There was, so there was this article that we could put in the show notes that they were talking about how they were theoretically examining how different hard drives affected the sound of audio files and it, I think it's a bunch of nonsense. It makes it hard to take audio files seriously. And I, I, th- I, I, I first, uh, post law applied. Yeah. <laughs> really, I first thought that was a fucking joke. <laughs> Cause, uh, yeah, it's ones and zeros, man. <laughs> but yeah, but the it, magnets. It, that's the kind of thing that makes it difficult to take a lot of this stuff seriously and, and makes me appreciate this article that really is backing up its points with, with sources yeah and experiments as i said the video is highly interesting just for that you you should really check this out okay so this sort of dovetails into another conversation we're hoping to have today about budget and pro equipment and you know how, how much should you spend on a microphone or what should you buy first and you know for the for the new the person just getting into recording uh what's a good place to start yeah, so um I guess in today's day and age the the easiest point to start is with your own computer. So every everybody now, not everybody, but most people now work in the box. So of course you don't need to to record uh, you don't need to buy an 8-track recorder or a mixing desk anymore. You just have to have the right sound uh, software and some way to get the sound in and out of the computer in in the best possible way and then you're mostly set uh depending on what you're going to produce. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. So I, I just point out, so the software, I, I think that's the topic for, for another day. Suffice to say that there are free software, uh, 
audio audio workstations and or at least some really cheap ones like Reaper that that's yeah, uh, Re- something Reaper's that's, a great starting place. Pe- yeah, people always recommend. But um now the stage before that um something that we were just more or less talking about getting your sound into the computer. So, of course you're going to have to have some kind of audio interface or or a really good sound card because what you have in your computer mostly is going to suck. Now I can't I can't speak <laughs> I can't speak about uh, Apple products, so maybe you can shed some light um, on this. Their built-in stuff is nothing special. Okay. So um you're basically going to need something external, some kind of uh, external sound card, mostly called audio interfaces. And um even there, just to refer back to the, to the video on, on Ziff, uh, he demonstrates all, everything he does with some uh, cheap audio interface from I don't know, the mid-90s or something, and still everything works perfectly. So when it comes to, to, to the conversion between audio and digital uh, analog and digital even there you can uh give these things some leeway when it comes to buying cheap products but yeah then there's some things like uh preamps and all that but if i w- if, if someone were to ask me like what do i need i just want to record my guitar and my, my my vocals i would say get get an audio interface in the range of like i don't know 100 to 200 dollars and mm-hmm. that's that's the starting point of course it's not going to get you some some premium uh uh, preamps and the best signal, but let's be honest, it's going to suffice for whatever this person is going to, to want to try to do yeah. when he's just starting out. Well, I, I like to think of this as there's a, there's a whole chain here. So you just think from there's you, whether it's your voice or your guitar or your whatever you're trying to capture. So there's that thing which you can work on or, or purchase. Then there's how that thing connects to your audio interface. Is that a, I know, what kind of mic are you using or what kind of cable or pedals or effects are in between your thing and the interface? And then there's the interface, which you were talking about. You can just spend a hundred bucks on it or so, and that'll be a solid start. And, and then from there, it all goes into the box and, and there's endless discussions to be had about what you do in the box. (laughs) But I like to think of it as, your weakest link is going to hold you back. And so like do, you know, buy cheap stuff and then gradually upgrade the pieces of the chain. And so, you know, you'll have the most amazing mic in the world, but your instrument sucks. And so you're really perfectly capturing this terrible instrument. Well, then you upgrade the instrument um, or, or vice versa. You have this wonderful, beautiful guitar sound and it's just not being captured that well. So you upgrade your mic and I think that's just a, a piece by piece thing and maybe you don't have the, the capital to buy it all at once and that's okay. Just start where you are, buy something that's good in budget and, um, if you have any questions about like good mics or, or stuff like that, we can definitely, uh, pu- publish a list or, or talk to us on Twitter. Um, but I, I do think it's more like a chain. You just kind of look and I'm always thinking about this too, even though I don't, I haven't bought new gear in a while. But um, I'm always thinking about, like, which piece of my chain is the weakest link right now and, and could use upgrading. And I think my next piece is to actually get some real preamps. Um, but, you know, I'm pretty happy with my chain right now. It's I don't have a big, a lot of complaints. I think the last thing I upgraded uh, because, uh, yeah, I think the, the last thing I upgraded was my audio interface because the one before that broke. After a concert, um, somebody was carrying it that was not supposed to carry it. 
And so I upgraded and even then there's, it's, it's not even about, uh, the quality, but sometimes it's just, yeah, I just need more channels, which was the case with me. I, for my band, the Astray, I just needed to have as many output channels as possible. So we're just two people, uh, we need two channels for vocals, one for guitar, one for bass. So in effect, four inputs, which we had before, but we also only had six outputs or four outputs, if I remember correctly. And that's not enough if you want to have a monitor signal and then you want to try to split up the instruments. So <laughs> what I got then was something with 10 outputs and now I'm good to go. I'm probably going to use this box if it's not going to break down for the next five or six years. And uh, once I find a reason to upgrade it, for whatever reason it is, more even more outputs or, um, as you said, maybe better preamps. I can just change some preamp before it or I don't know. It's, you can't really tell un, un, until you run into a wall and you say, okay, now this is something, this is a problem, or this is something where I want to get more out of, more out of. And then it's, th that's the moment where you can start thinking about spending money again. So that's mm -hmm. my point of view on this. And you do want it to be driven by what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's always the first question is like, you know, someone's like, what should I buy? It's like, well, what are you trying to do? Um, some people are just trying to like start podcasting and, you know, they could get by by just buying like a hundred dollar snowball USB mic or a Yeti or something. And, you know, that is your interface and mic. And for spoken word in a controlled environment, that'll work great. And you really don't need to, you know, buy XLR cables and all these <laughs> extra pieces just to build a whole chain that's really kind of meant for musicians and more, uh, more flexible uses um if you really just want to record your voice or a single instrument and you have a pretty um controlled environment then a usb mic like a snowball or a yeti is a great starting place and to get yeah. into recording yeah and um if, if we're going to so, so and other than vocals which something that most people are probably going to record next, uh, that's, that's most going to happen is something like a guitar. So of course, okay, if you're recording acoustic guitar, you're going to still need that uh, microphone placement. And then there's electric guitar. And there's one point where I wanted just to make the case, um, that digital, uh, amp emulators like guitar rig or amplitude really aren't a bad thing. So um, some people really give them a lot of flex. So once again, this this purist argument of, no, you need to have tube and a tube amp and record it with an SM58 or something around that. Um, in my case, I pr started pretty early using Guitaric just because uh, I wanted to have a flexible sound and actually not buy as many effect pedals as I would have needed for my sound. Yeah. So... Um, I started using those and it's, it's, for me, it's a godsend. I couldn't do any, I, so in one of my bands, I play exclusively to, through software. Everything that I play goes through software. And in the other band, when I play through my regular amplifier, I always feel a bit limited. Now I, I chose to be limited in that case, so I don't have a whole minefield of things in front of me. But, uh, if you're, starting to record and even or especially if you haven't found your sound yet so you, you don't even know if you want to have a real mean distortion or just a very clean sound from your guitar just try get the trial version or just buy the cheap light version of, of one of these uh, softwares and try everything out that you want and uh, I promise you you're probably going to mm -hmm. like it and um, now of course if you're going to play live that's, that's a whole different thing 
But um, as I said, even with the band, with Salt Disguise, where I play through a regular guitar amp, when I record my stuff, I always play through guitar because I know how to control the sound, how to get the, the best possible sound out of it without uh, having to, to test the mic placement for half an hour before I start to record the first yeah. note. Or, you know, in a live situation, you don't get, you don't have the luxury of testing a mic placement for yeah. an hour. Yeah. Um, unless you're like, you know, a full-time world touring band that has its yeah. own sound team that'll do that for you. And yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done as much in the box with guitars other than I, early on in recording, I would, I would hook my acoustic up direct <laughs> and I would, I would distort that and it, <laughs> I, I won't say it, it sounds good to my ears now, but it, it was part of that exploration phase of just like, ah, this is what I have. I'm going to play with what I have and, and see what I can do. And eventually, you know, you'll, you'll move on to some other things or you'll find something you like better. But there's, I, I, I place a big value on that of like use what's with, within your reach and, and use it as far as it can go. And once you really know what you're trying to do, then you can target your purchases and, you know, save your money for those really strategic moments. All right. So let's get to our pick of the week. Uh, every week we try to find a sound or song or album or just a, you know, big or small, a piece of audio that does something we like for whatever reason. And, you know, maybe sometime we'll, we'll shame something we hate, but I think we're trying to keep it positive here. Um, and so for my pick of the week, um, I would say the entire album, but I'll focus it down on a song for, for our sake here. Um, Deerhoof's Friend Opportunity album has a song called Plus 81. And, um, if you're unfamiliar with Deerhoof, you should really check them out, but, um, they do a lot of spastic, um, Sort of poppy, but sort of, uh, messy rock and roll. Um, everything's kind of deconstructed in their music and they don't, they don't stick with one thing for too long. They're always like, all right, we did that. And before you get too comfortable, we're going to mess it up and go over here and do this now. And, uh, and in this song, plus 81, it starts off with these trumpets and this, like this marching drum. And then it, it immediately uh, spills into this guitar riff and, uh, they they have this adorable Japanese vocalist that uh um that's probably the thing that is makes or breaks Deerhoof for a lot of people is if they can get into that or or not. But um what I love about this song other than that it's it's like a lot of their great songs and it's in being a spastic mess, is that there's there's this breakdown in final chorus that kind of brings it all together at the end. And so maybe we can check out a little bit of plus eighty one. That was plus eighty one by Deerhoof. <laughs> Did you have a chance to check it out, or yeah, I you... just I just had a chance to, to listen to it uh, just before the show. So the first thing that came to mind uh, was the film Paprika, the the Japanese animated film, because uh, it just 
would fit right in there. So there's this whole spastic thing and, and borderline experimental stuff going on. Um, something I enjoy from time to time. I can't listen to it all the time, but from sometimes you just need that. You just need that explosion of sound in your face. And it, it always gives me some good inspiration of, of just something to do. Uh, so, so there's always things like in my music when I compose something or when I, when I mix it and, and apply effects and all that. There's always this thing of now, do I want things to sound subtle or do, do you want things to go in your face? And in this song, more or less everything gets fired in your face through a cannon. So <laughs> sometimes you want that. There's this, this whole spectrum from, from one point to the other. And that's definitely on one of the extremes. But, um, and yeah, and as you said, the, the vocals, as with most bands, I guess you can either you like him or you do, you just don't like him at all. For me, it's, I, I like them. Uh, they remind me, oh, it always reminds me of, uh, the, the, the Japanese or, I guess Japanese but New York based rap uh, group Chibomato, uh, which is comprised of, of two Japanese women. And it's always this, this thing that when I hear, when I hear it, I always get reminded of, yeah, I need to go back to listen to some Chibomato again. Uh, because it's always, as you said, this, this adorable voice or accent or something in there that just, even in contrast with the whole instrumental part of the song, it's just fascinating to listen to. So what was your pick of the week? So my pick of the week was uh, equally spastic. We're, um, so we're kind of hooking up on a the theme here. Maybe we should uh, always do that in the show. <laughs> um, it's Family Galaxy by Tim Exile, um, which some would say the genre is intelligent dance music, I've heard. Some people to categorize it like that. Now, the thing is, you are probably not going to be able to dance to this song and classifying it as intelligent would mean that everything that's not intelligent dance music is stupid dance music <laughs> or as i like to call it idiotic dance music so you get the same acronym it's always been a problematic tag for me intelligent dance music yeah for all these reasons anyway I, I, go on i get what's meant but uh no you shouldn't call it that so uh, i would just classify it as electronica or uh yeah i guess that's the close you could get so um I really don't even know where to start in this uh, song. It's just shifting in time signatures and rhythms and lots of syncopation. And I think if you're a, if you're someone who composes music or makes music, and even if you're not really into electronic stuff, you should really give this song a listen because just the uh, the amount of sheer complexity that's in there gives you something new every time you listen back to it. Um, so even if you're not really into the sound design of the synthesizers and especially the vocals that get higher pitched uh, by the end of the song um and, and and it's just if you were to look at it just uh as as a sheet music or as a midi file you would get some really interesting things out of it so uh like no two seconds in this song sound like the next two seconds there is barely no repetition if you listen to each and every element because there's always something changing in there and it's always so gradual that if you're just listening to to it in the background it, it starts somewhere and then at the end you go oh it's th that was the same song so mm -hmm. um i guess we're going to just insert something of it right here
Um, did you get a chance to listen to it before the show? Yes, I, I listened to the, the whole thing before the show, and um, I think you, you nailed it that um, the rhythm and the time signatures are kind of the most obvious first story to, to get out of this song. But um, it, it's not just the rhythm changes, though. Every, everything changes. And um, there, there was also another case of, I keep finding these exceptions to um, the rules. Uh, there was a good YouTube comment. And uh, someone said, um, I'm bipolar and this is what, this song is what it feels like to go into a manic episode. Wow. And I thought that even though I'm not bipolar, I, I understood the, the mood swing uh, analogy that yeah. they, they found in this song. Um, but I think, you know, it starts off really chill and, but there's, there's these characteristics that are carried through in different ways throughout the song. Um, cause there's like, there's this gentle frequency sweep on a lot yeah. of the, the rhythm parts. You know, there's this little swish, this little sweep. And there's elements of the song and every part of the song that are kind of carrying that sweep theme through. I'm um, just little, I don't know, it's just little sweeps. Yeah. <laughs> and even the vocals, um, uh, take on this characteristic too. And so I just, I just found a lot of interesting, uh, things going on. It's pleasant to hear. I mean, it's, it's music. It's it's nice to hear. And um, yeah. yeah, thanks for introducing <laughs> me to this. Yeah, so um, the whole album is like that. But I guess Family Galaxy is the one that really uh, stands out for me. Um, now, all of these other songs on the same album uh, have similar things happening in the songs. and But I guess Family Galaxy is the one that just fits them all into one song and presents them as like, so this is what we're going to do now. And, um, I guess around that to Max, how then after that started building his, uh, he started building a machine in, in, uh, native instruments reactor, uh, where he does improvisational music. So he can fill a whole evening with everything that's just improvised through the, his voice and things he samples from the, uh, from the audience. And then he got into, to this episode where he, um, at this website where you could actually contribute songs. So you would do a live stream and you would send in a sample. You could record it through the browser or send in a sound file. And he would have those on his Novation Launchpad and just trigger them. And if he found something that was good, he just incorporated it into the whole mix on the fly. And that was always fun to look. So uh, I, I contributed some some of that somewhere as well. And um, maybe I'm, I'm going to find a good video representation of that and also link it in the show notes. So this guy's still active, but uh, I heard that he's not going to record another album in the f in the future, I guess, years or so, because he's now in on this other track. But yeah, <laughs> Tim Exile, you should really check him out. Excellent. And with that, we've reached the end of our topics for this show, but we want to thank you so much for listening to Bits and Pieces, a Sunrise Robot show. And uh, this show will always be free, like all of the shows on Sunrise Robot, yeah. but there are ways you can support what we do, help us keep the lights on, help us pay for bandwidth. So head to Sunrise Robot slash Bits and Pieces um, for show notes, and you can add a slash zero zero three on the end for the show notes to this episode, episode three. And uh, also, um, we we welcome your generous uh, help if you'd like to support the show. Um, there's information there. Um, I'm Mike Edwards out of Denver, Colorado, and uh, you can find me online uh, on, on Twitter. I'm Medwards Music, or you can head to MichaelEdwards.BandCamp.com. 
And I'm Matt Duncan from Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And you can find me on Twitter at Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X, or just on Facebook, just slash Echolox or Salt the Sky, Salt the Australia, one of those. Excellent. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Special thanks to our Patreon support, Bruce Edwards. Find out how you can become a supporter at sunriserobot.net slash support. 